Today's episode is brought to us by Umbra's sunglasses. They are armless, they have a cord, they are amazing. I love mine, I can take them anywhere. They won't fall off while I mountain bike. And if you would like to get a pair, go to Instagram, find Umbra's, O-M-B-R-A-Z, send them a message, and they're giving away three free pair this month. Something else I like to take with me anywhere is a couple packs of CS Instant Coffee. If I can't drag along all my coffee equipment, I do have that option to have incredible coffee in the backcountry or anywhere I go. Go to csinstant.coffee and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout for a discount on their incredible instant coffee. A lot of, if you haven't done a hike before or a through hike before, I think when you first go out by yourself and you're hiking solo, you get this huge opportunity. You get thinking time, especially when you're away from friends and family and other people and peer pressure in society. And you can do a lot of reflection and deep thinking about who you are as a person, what you like, what you dislike. And, you know, just think about your life so far and what's going on and, and have that time to actually really process what's been going on. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, trying to help you find adventure every day in any stage of life. You're going to hear from explorers, adventurers, business owners, and anyone living their life a little more out of the box than usual. Happy Monday, folks. Today, we are talking to Sarah Williams of the Tough Girl Podcast. Uh, In 2018, she did a bike tour down the West Coast of the U.S., which is, you know, crazy for her because she hadn't ridden a bicycle in years. She just decided to do it. Uh, Sarah is a true adventurer. And oh, and I forgot to mention in 2019, she did the Camino Portuguese, which is a hike, basically a walk from Portugal uh, to Spain. And uh, it's like close to 400 miles, just this really cool very much like the uh, the El Camino de Santiago, similar to that. Um, but just talk about how she chooses her adventures, how she keeps up a life of adventure while inspiring people through her podcast uh, to be adventurous. So we talk about all that. She's incredibly interesting, an awesome storyteller. And so it was a really wonderful conversation. Hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on uh, Thanksgiving. But yeah, so you know, I'd, I'd love to just kind of jump in and, and talk about um, you know your your most recent adventures. I know you've been on the show before to talk about. You were on episode one sixty two, two fourteen, and three twenty three, talking about Mar- Marathon de Sabs, Kilimanjaro, and the Appalachian Trail. Um, but you recently, in the last few years, done the Pacific Coast Highway and the Camino. Portuguese is that pronounce that right? Yeah, yeah, Camino Portuguese. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it seems like you choose an adventure pretty much every year to do. Is that, is that kind of the method, or does it just work out that way? That's that's generally the method. Yeah, I, I like to do like one big challenge a year. But the, for the past, like in um, like after the Appalachian Trail, I went back to university and did my masters. So that then sort of changed the time pressure. And then after I completed that, it was suddenly like, especially like for me, twenty. 19 has been really liberating because I haven't had like any other like academic study and so I've just had more free time and more mental capacity to do extra stuff and to you know spend more time doing the tough girl podcast and so 
yeah, I like, spent two months in Australia, a month in India, becoming a qualified yoga teacher, did my personal training qualification, um, you know, did, went off and well, came back to the UK, didn't know what I wanted to do, then ended up doing the Camino. And yeah, and then I'm actually, I'm off to Turkey in, um, in about a week's time as well to do the Lycian way. So, yeah, so this year it'll be like two big challenges, which will be exciting. Yeah, two big challenges and a lot and a lot in between. Geez, I didn't know all that other stuff was going on. That's, uh, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. And so, and through all that, you're able to maintain and and produce the podcast. Just about like Just if you watch like barely, if you huh? watch, <laughs> yeah, if you watch some of my stories, like um, like my to do list and like how I schedule. Because so when I come back from challenges, I I'm normally like editing vlogs. And so like, and I preload content before I go. So the podcast is always coming out, but I've actually started to double up on the podcast and do something called tough girl extra. So that's like doubling the podcast workload and then, you know, trying to plan and prepare for the next trip while also getting blog posts put out there on a weekly basis as well. Um, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on, but you know what? I love it. I enjoy it. I have the best life ever. So there's no complaints from me. So, so it really is as good as it seems on social media <laughs> for you. It's very real. Like I'm in my pajamas in my bed because I've been working since 6am and yeah. um, I've only had like three boiled eggs because I forgot to eat the rest of the time. But you know what? <laughs> life is good. Life is good. That is awesome. Now, you know, you, all your adventures, you know, you know, going through them, they're all in a lot of ways very different from like you did the AT in under 100 days. Um, that, that, first of all, that's quick. And first of all, and second of all, that's a huge achievement for anyone like here in the states that's like a big deal you know when you do the at uh, and then from there you you choose the bike tour and then again you choose a different type of all you know like almost no, not 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 backpacking because you didn't have to carry as much for the camino like h- how do you choose your adventures is it just you read stories and you, you're talking to all these interesting people and you say i want to do that one so I do have like a massive list of, of ideas and things that I want to do and what I want to accomplish. But a lot of it actually comes down to me physically, how I'm doing. So I've actually suffered quite a bit. of in- So after the Appalachian Trail, not to bore people. Oh, no, we talk about injury a lot because <laughs> I'm injured myself. So I'd love to hear this. It was basically my uh, I ended up going over on my left ankle like a lot, like about nine times. And so, you know, when you sort of injure like your your foot or your ankle, what your body does is it adapts around it. So like my knee, instead of being my knees are always straight, they started sort of turning inwards and my glutes weren't firing. And obviously, when your glutes aren't firing, you have different muscles being used. So my hip flexors are incredibly tight. But it's but also my calf muscles aren't used either. It's, so I have like quite a weird uh, posterior chain of injury happening. And um, after after the Appalachian Trail, you know, I was starting back at university. Uh, it was a huge amount of work, and I was also working two part time jobs. And physically, I wasn't in the best shape, which sounds very strange, but because I I dropped a lot of weight, and so I was very um, I'd lost a lot of muscle mass, lo- lost a lot of weight. And it took me probably about six to eight months to get back into the gym again. And then I started having problems with my knees and I was stupid and didn't go see a physio. And so one of the reasons I ended up picking the Pacific um, Coast Highway to cycle was because cycling was something that I actually could do. And I think also after the Appalachian Trail, I'd sort of lost my love for hiking. The thought of putting a backpack on again and doing another big walk just really didn't appeal for me. And one of the things that I really like to do is to is to share 
um, doing something completely outside of my comfort zone. So yes, I could have gone on and done another hike, but then I wouldn't be out. I would still bring my audience with me, but they'd all know, well, you've done it before. You've done the Appalachian Trail before. You know how to do this. This isn't really going to be that big of a challenge for you. But I hadn't been on a bike since I was like thir- 13 years old. Uh, not properly. I'd done, I'd done a crazy thing in South America called, um, cycling down death road but you know that's just a couple of hours it wasn't really a big cycle trip so what I was able to do was to actually bring my audience with me to say look I'm flying out to Vancouver I'm gonna go buy a secondhand bike um you know the day after I <laughs> yeah, arrive I saw that video <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna find some panniers I, you know I've got a, I have very I work with very small budgets I don't have a lot of money and yeah let's go cycle through from Vancouver all the way down the Pacific Coast Highway the initial plan was to cross into Mexico and to do the the off-road section the Baja Divide but had a few you know technical issues and had to basically get back on the road the highway one to Mexico but I was able to to share that journey with um with the audience and 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 actually one of the key things I do is I documented before so I was able to say look I'm studying for my master's I'm working two part-time jobs I'm running my business how do I get it done? And and by writing blog posts and showing people behind the scenes and how I broke it down, you know, financially, logistically, how I paid for things on an ad hoc basis. And, you know, even things like just deciding on the date, which was me was very easy. Um, I knew I'd gonna, I was going to be handing my master's in on like the 31st of August. Um, it's my birthday on the 10th of September. I'm not a massive fan. So that's why I finished the Appalachian Trail on my birthday in 2017. So I thought, well, perfect. Why don't I start my next challenge on my birthday? That's that's sort of that linkage and that synchronicity works out. I really like that. It makes sense in my head. And um, yeah, that's what I did. So I had the date and then I thought, well, I want to go out a few days before. Um, a friend of mine, a good travel friend of mine who I met when I was 18 backpacking around Southeast Asia was totally up for coming over as well. So she decided to come and have a week in Vancouver with me. So we headed out on the 4th of September, started cycling on the 10th and yeah, away you go. And I also, my my brother lives in Australia and he'd had a new baby and I hadn't met my little nephew, Charlie. And I thought, you know what, I want to go, let's go spend Christmas with them. So then suddenly I had the time frame. It was like, okay, I've got September and, until December. What can I do? And obviously when you finish the Pacific Coast Highway down by San Diego, there's Baja, California. And I'd heard about the off-road section and it just sort of seemed to come together very nicely. And then I could obviously fly from uh, fly from Cabo San Lucas um, over to Australia and that fitted together really well for me. Yeah, no, yeah, no kidding. It just you laid it all out so perfectly. It sounds great. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so why why the Pacific Coast uh, Highway uh, of all things? You know, that's just things. interesting. Well, the other well, the other thing which is really important to me is the weather. So I I do I like sunshine. I like the heat. Um, and it's trying to find it was trying to find sort of a, a cycle ride that I could do, which was still going to be hot at some you know sort of like September October time. And after doing my research, it basically came back that cycling Pacific Coast Highway one of the best times to do it was um, was September, and it was like brilliant. It just t- it just ticked another box. And and I'd spoken to a few other female cyclists who said it's just this beautiful, stunning route, and. And it's also it's relatively um, 
it's 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 not a com- like it's not complicated navigation it's relatively easy in terms of like the elevation gain and loss so you're not you know out there climbing massive mountains there's like one big hill like Leggett um, but otherwise it's very manageable there's campsites every 20 25 miles along the coast um, cost wise you can get you know hiker biker rates so it's you know it's more like five dollars or eight dollars um, when you're further down in sort of California way and Oregon was still quite expensive but um, cost wise budget wise weather wise it just basically ticked all my boxes and you know when you sort of get that idea in your head and then it just sort of grows and grows and then I think I was on like Skyscanner and I saw this really cheap flight to Vancouver and I just bought it and then it was like well I'm definitely doing it now and um, yeah that I suppose those (laughs) that's my rationale. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know much about the coast and how scenic it was before you started or or was it all all new to you it was it was all new to me I had obviously heard of places like Big Sur along the coast and a lot of people had said how how beautiful it was um but I'm I'm not a little bit strange like I I do my research and my planning and I do like research and planning but I also don't want to over plan and oversee everything before I go so obviously there are certain things I wanted to do on the route down you know I wanted to see the um the the giant red oak trees and you know cycle my bike through through one of those I wanted to see Big Sur I was excited about crossing over the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and reaching LA and um and then there was a little town called Forks up in uh, up in, close to Vancouver, uh, where Twilight was filmed, which I wanted to go see. So there was a few like little bits that I wanted to definitely, you know, they were my must go sees. But otherwise, I sort of just want to to see what happens and see how it unfolds and see what I discover myself. So although I do enjoy watching like other people's vlogs and reading other people's blogs and I do do research, I try and keep it a balanced amount so that I know, you know, what I'm doing and, you know, the safety aspects and things I need to be careful of, but it's not, I'm not so militant that I know where I'm going to be every single day and, um, and, and, and that level of planning basically. So coming from a, a hiking, um, ultra running and, and- through hiking background, were you at all apprehensive or nervous about uh, transitioning to a bicycle and the differences? Uh, I yes, I was. You know, not being on one since you were what thirteen? You said. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it, back in the back on the Wirral, I didn't actually have a bike where where I grew up, and I sort of looked in the shed and found my dad's like old mountain bike, you know, from the eighties or something ridiculous, and I took that and got that, you know, repaired and new brakes and new chain and everything, and I was actually booked. I booked myself on. You can go like on a cycling, um, like a cycling get back to cycling course, but I didn't end up doing it in the end. So, and I had I went out a few times but not massively on the roads so I'd probably say I was very inexperienced especially on road riding and riding with traffic but I think one of the things that I'm very aware of is that once you start doing something you're gonna learn you're gonna get better you're gonna improve you're gonna figure it out as you do it um fitness wise I wasn't I wasn't concerned I'd never actually ridden a bike with panniers before I just realized that yeah getting used to yeah the other thing I realized like about maybe like two weeks into my trip I because I didn't know the right way to put panniers on so you know there is like a right and a left because you can see because you like the thing yeah I I had the mind like the wrong way like loads of times like (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't realize that little things like that I mean I think the biggest probably the biggest concern for me was things like bike maintenance because 
in my mind, I had planned to go on a bike maintenance course. I'd be researching them, but the costs were quite prohibitive and I didn't have enough money to pay for, to go on a bike maintenance course. So I don't, you know, I, I'd watched a few YouTube tutorials and I was, and I, I was, so, I was starting to think, do you know what? Look, if you get a puncture, you'll figure it out. Like you, you, you'll just figure it out or someone will be there to help you and if not you can always push the bike so I tried not to let those fears overtake me to the extent that it would stop me doing it um you know if I if I could go back I, I you know I'd still like to do a bike maintenance course I think those are good skills to have to ensure that you are prepared but also doing the route that I was doing there's lots of towns there's lots of places you can always hitch a ride to the next bike shop you weren't it wasn't um an isolated um route so I did have a little bit of concerns and like I mean oh leaving Vancouver my poor friend like you know leaving we went out for a lovely birthday breakfast which was super nice and then then it was like the bag was all packed and the panniers were on the bike and it was pissing it down with rain and had this waterproof jacket on and I was so nervous but also excited and then suddenly I'm on the bike and then I'm crossing over a bridge and then it stopped raining and I had to do like 36 miles and um it was pretty brutal and I had to do a bit of navigation um but I always think you know what I've got I've got an iPhone with me I know where I need to get to I can always stop I, I don't know where I'm going I can always ask someone um if my legs hurt I can always get off the bike I can you know there's 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 systems that I can implement to to make sure that I can I can do it and then to be honest after about you know four or five days you're just in it you're just doing it every single day and then you don't even notice anymore it just becomes like oh my god I've suddenly ridden like 4,000 kilometers I know this is an ad but this is actually how I feel Ombra's sunglasses are amazing they're armless and they just have a cord that connects the frame around your head and my son can't pull them off my head like he pulls my other sunglasses off they won backpackers magazine gear editors gear choice of the year they plant 20 trees for every pair they sell and honestly guys I, I wear them every day I take them everywhere I go I just wore them cycling the other day on a long trip it was they're, they just perform great. I love that there's no arms on them. I slip them in the pocket of my shirt or in my pants. I don't have to worry about breaking them. Fantastic glasses. I don't have to worry about them coming off if I'm wrestling around with my son or playing with my dogs. Uh, I, I really do enjoy them, enjoy them and I'm gonna be buying more for myself for the foreseeable future. I mean, they're just, they've totally changed the way I look at sunglasses. You can check them out too at ombras.com, O-M-B-R-A-Z. They make a great Christmas gift. I know you can't always make coffee the way you want to in a lot of the places that we go, you know, in the backcountry or on top of a mountain somewhere. But the good news is there is a great option for coffee in the backcountry, and it's CS Instant Coffee. They make big pouches that fill, you know, 20 ounce containers with fresh coffee. Just put some hot water in there and you're good to go or put cold water in there and then you can have some cold brew. They use 100% compostable packaging. So just in case you dropped it, please don't. But if you did, it's going to biodegrade into the ground. It's great for backcountry travel or any time you just don't feel like breaking out the coffee maker, or the French press or whatever. I actually use them all the time just in my house when I don't feel like making a big pot of coffee. So check them out at csinstant.coffee and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to get a discount. 
That's so interesting. And I'm glad you said that, you know, you, you, I remember my first bike tour and I don't want to turn this to me, but I was, I was 5,000 miles from home and got a flat, a, a puncture on the first day and, and didn't know how to change one. I, I totally just overlooked it like an idiot. <laughs> and, and I pulled out the little puncture kit, which was, you know, maybe two or $3 at a bike shop. And I, I looked inside and there happened, there's just a little instruction thing, just a little printout that's the size of like a stick of gum that tells you how to do it. And I, I followed that and it worked. And, you know, you just, you're, you're so right about that. Watch some YouTube videos. And like you said, the, the first day is so difficult. It's so, uh, so many emotions going on. But when you just push yourself out the door within four or five days, you really feel like, like you're into this. And uh, then it just becomes a lifestyle from there. And the next thing you know, it's over, you know, it's, it's just crazy. Okay. And now you're a, you're a bike tour, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. And I always think, you know, adventuring is also about problem solving, like problems are going to come up. And it's just how you handle these different situations. So um, it's just going, you know, it's trying to be logical, it's being calm, and it's figuring it out. And you will, you will figure it out, you will find a solution, there is always a solution. Absolutely. There is always a solution. And I don't know if you've seen this, but you know, people, there's someone around that's willing to help you figure it out if you don't know what you're doing. Um, who sees you and says, you know what, it looks like they're struggling. Let me just show them. I know how to do this. And, uh, I've, I've had it happen a thousand times, but, uh, so, so for you on, uh, you know, what a beautiful place to start. First of all, Vancouver, what was, what was it like when the first week were you, I mean, was it going pretty smooth? Was it harder than you expected? Was it, was it nice to be able to just coast downhill rather than have to hike downhill? <gasps> I do, I, I do like the speed, like mm. I, it's very, the fact that you're just moving and you can cover bigger distances. And I do, one of the things that I massively remembered, I mean, there was big differences obviously on the Appalachian trails. I'd be walking from seven, eight in the morning till when it got dark. And so I never really had that social aspect of it on the Appalachian trail because I would get to, to camp and I would just, I'm done. Like I, that's interesting because the AT is very busy and it seems like people want it for the social aspect. I t totally agree. And people were wanting to talk to me. And I, I, this, this was going to really rude. I soon realized when I started to share, oh yeah, I'm doing the 18 in a hundred days, or I'd share like some of the stuff they'd want to talk to me more, which is amazing because <laughs> people are sociable. But the problem is they've been there since two o'clock in the afternoon and I'm arriving at half seven, eight o'clock. I, I know in myself, I've probably got enough breath to take, to blow up my air mattress with 40 breaths eat some food and then I just need to pass out and sleep for 10, 12 hours to, to recover before I do it all again. And, um, and I remember cycling into Forks and I, and I sort of arrived at like two o'clock in the afternoon. I got to this campsite and, you know, I set my tent up and, you know, I had a wash and, you know, so I sat down, organized all my gear. And then suddenly it was like, it's like two forty, and it was like, Oh, like, I'm done. Like every, like now I can just go off and explore. And it was so liberating. And it was actually for me, this was a much more sociable trip because, you know, getting into campsites, meeting other bike tourists and having a campfire and cooking food together and, you know, getting a little bit of, you know, a small group of people where you sort of, you know, just go, Oh, where are you camping tonight? And then, you know, I'd go off, I'd cycle at my own pace and people were faster than me or, you know, people would stop in different areas, but you'd know that you were going to end up at the same campsite that night and that you'd be having like a meal together and having a few drinks. And so I really, really did, um, enjoy that aspect of it. And it was just, it was very leisurely. And I think because the Appalachian trail for me was so extreme because of my time frame, that the Pacific coast highway wasn't, um, 
for me, by the way, wasn't a particularly big physical challenge. And I don't want that coming across as arrogant. It was just because I had a lot of time to do it. Um, I was very relaxed. I wasn't trying to break any records or bust the gut. You know, some days it was like, you know, 50 miles. You know, sometimes it was 30. Um, Some days it was just 25. And it was just a very gentle, nice, beautiful cycle ride. Um, Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I highly recommend it as well. Did you, uh, did your body hold up like you were hoping it would uh, versus, you know, the, the pounding of hiking? Absolutely. Although the funny thing was though, so one of the, the problems that I had on the Appalachian Trail was, was weight loss. As in I lost, I lost, I started, I put on extra weight before I did the Appalachian Trail and I ended up losing that and then more. And so I was actually quite cons- concerned before the, the, you know, cycling Pacific Coast Highway. I thought, well, it's still going to be very, very physical every day. Am I going to be able to get those calories in? I better start a little bit heavier than I normally am, just in case. And I didn't end up losing any weight during the trip. So my body de- <laughs> definitely held up really well. You, you might gain weight because a lot of people eat a lot when they when they bike to where I do. <laughs> I said, well, I'm just all the time just eating and I love eating. It's great. Um I mean, one of the one of the problems I did have is uh, I uh, so bike touring all the way down Pacific Coast Highway, and then my plan. Well, this happened. I switched over to an off road mountain bike, a Surly that I borrowed from a friend to do the off road section, the Baja Divide. And what ended up happening is I ended up um, my bike because I had the panniers on and you know my gear was quite heavy. The back rack of my bike ended up breaking. And so I was basically stuck in the desert. I w- at that point, I was traveling with two other people, but they hadn't realized, you know, that my bike had broken. They ended up sort of leaving me in the desert. So I had to like hike and bike this very heavy bike out of the desert. And when you, which was fine, because mentally in my head, I'm thinking, Sarah, you've, you know, A, you've walked 30 plus miles day after day after day on the Appalachian Trail. You're fine. And, you know, on when you ran the Marathon de Saabs, you ran 52 miles in a day. You can walk the bike, the 12 13 miles whatever you need to get out of this out of this situation and so I was walking the bike but it was incredibly steep uphills and downhills very very rocky terrain I was having to use the bra- the brakes to control um, the bike because the back rack had broken I had one pannier strapped to the front of the bike and I had the other pannier the only way I could tra- carry it was having to squeeze it onto my back and um, so basically it was it was the straps were sort of shredding my shoulders. My hands were like locked out from using the brakes. And, and you know, um, uh, my legs were getting shredded by the pedals hitting the back of my legs and sort of like ripping the skin off. And I did that, you know, for four or five hours in like the baking sun. So it's you know, pretty, pretty brutal. And I remember I got to got to this town and you know when you finally stop, I had to I then had to catch a bus to the closest bike shop, this fast bike shop, and I got dropped off right outside and took my bike in. And then I suddenly realized like once I stopped, I was like, I can't actually walk anymore. Like all of my legs and my back muscles and my arm and everything had just locked. It was like, no, 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 we are done. Like so I ended up having to go see uh the well the the bike shop over owner who, who was a lovely, lovely guy, and I'm gonna forget his name. Uh, amazing guy like fixes all the bikes does everything he's very well known on um on the Baja Divide and he was like I think you need to have maybe like a massage (laughs) or you need to see like a physio and so he set me up with somebody and this um this this I actually ended up being two people working on me and I went to I 
stayed there for like four or five days when my bike was being fixed. And over those four or five days, I was going in every single day to get like my back cracked, my muscles massaged to try and release like all the all the tension. That's probably the worst my body's ever been in because I was just it was just yeah horrendous. And especially when you're away from home and you and you're just like oh I can't do the normal stuff that I would do at home with like foam rollers and all this sort of stuff. And I was just relying on other people just cracking me and massaging me to try and sort out all these muscles. Jeez, it really, <laughs> that Southern <laughs> part of the trip really got out of hand with it, but it happens, you know, and you know, for a lot of people, if, if something so dramatic, like your pain, you're just not being able to, you know, your frame breaking, I've had that happen as well. You're just in the moment and you're like, well, what do I, what do, I do with this stuff? Well, I'll, I'll just, I'll just put it on my back. And, you know, that's not something you necessarily have an idea that you're going to do beforehand. You're not, you don't know that you're going to, like, that's not a part of the contingency plan, but it's definitely an option. And I've seen it happen. And, and, and something like that, knowing that might happen, could keep a lot of people out of wanting to do something like this. Um, but, you know, I, I guarantee that you don't regret that you did it and that it was worth it. And now those stories are almost, you're almost glad some of those things happened to have these more interesting stories now. Oh, do you know, absolutely. And the great thing is I actually filmed it, but it's quite, <laughs> because one of the hard bits is when the back rack broke, my, my bike basically ran to a stop yes. with this massive yep. squeaking. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, you know, what's going on? And I got off the bike and, um, and I thought, well, you know, you think logically, well, let me take the panniers off the back. Let's see what's wrong with the back tire because my wheel wasn't even turning. And I just couldn't figure it out because, because the back rack had broken and the back rack had slammed down and locked into my back wheel so I couldn't actually even move the bike initially and it was like what you know what is going on I eventually figured it out and then I had to use like bungee cords to strap the back rack up around the seat um but you know figuring that out but I was filming this as I was like talking through all these problems and it's quite interesting because I'm also saying well it's okay because the guys are you know they will they'll wait for me because it's only about 11 o'clock so they're going to stop somewhere for lunch and obviously realize that I haven't turned up and that one of them will cycle back or something so it'll be fine I mean there's nothing that they could have done for it but it just would have been quite nice to see someone and then you know walk the bike out eventually came across like a spanish family who had a truck and with my i don't speak spanish as well so with you know smiles and bike broken can we put it in the truck and you know and I'm riding in the back of the truck with like five little kids and um you know driven out and eventually find the guys again they they'd gone to the very very end and hadn't waited for me and then we it's like now pitch the pitch black on the side of the road in mexico and the, the nearest town was still maybe like a five mile ride away. So I'm having to ride my bike with no lights, with my pan, you know, one of the panniers on my back, feeling very pissed off and annoyed about what had happened. And, um, and w from that aspect of it, and then having to ride down the side of the, um, the side of the highway with like my, my, Oh, my iPhone is my flashlight because like because I hadn't I would never ride in the dark so it just wasn't something that I'd ever do you know what I mean because I always planned to like be in yeah, the afternoon you know, exactly. ride somewhere in the afternoon it just wasn't part of my 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 kit and my and my gear and stuff so that that <coughs> actually it's really funny if you watch the video because I eventually you know I get to the hotel room you know I check in all my stuff and I'm like I'm, and I'm saying to the camera you know all I want now is do you know what I need to do is you never make any decisions when you're tired and you're hungry and you're quite emotional, you know, get some food, have some sleep. It's all going to be completely different in the morning. 
best thing to do, go and have a nice hot shower. And very, this room was like $25, so I was expecting a hot shower. Right. Go into the bathroom and I turned the shower on and it was just like this drizzle. It wasn't even a drizzle of cold water. And I think I can't even have a shower. So it was just one of those, <laughs> you know, it's just like the perfect end to the day. But but I do look back and think, you know, lessons were learned, you know, a lot of lessons for me because, you know, I've got to take full responsibility of the fact that I put myself in that in that situation. You know, I did have a spot tracker as well with me, you know, so I could have pressed the pressed the button and all that sort of stuff. So it would have been fine. And I and I had my phone, you know, I got myself out of that situation. But again, it makes you think, well, what would have happened if I had broken my leg? Okay, what would I have done then? Like how, you know, it is quite a quiet road. And so I think that's the interesting things because actually I was probably, I was underprepared for the off-road section of the Baja Divide and not having the right kit, not having the right gear. It, it put me probably at a higher risk. And I think that's really good to have those experiences, especially when you have experiences when, yes, things go wrong, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, I, I was 100% okay. And that's, that's the only thing that really matters in those situations. So I'm actually able to reflect back and learn from it and you know never put myself in another situation like that again you know fingers crossed <laughs> right right there's <laughs> at least that type of situation you you know that's how we learn though we put ourselves out there and you know a lot of times we learn not because of what happens to us but we we have an imagination and we know what could have happened and we got just a small taste of what it, could have been you know much more disastrous and that's enough to to teach us the lesson thankfully we don't have to go through it completely all the time to learn so you know you get to get to cabo what did you think about bike touring and and what was something that was particularly memorable from from the west coast i mean it's going to be the classic things for me reaching san francisco was amazing like seeing the bridge and and I'd visualized it in my mind so much and obviously it's such an iconic bridge and you see it in so many movies and then suddenly to be riding across it because I think sometimes when you're bike touring although you know you're making progress and you cycle like 40 miles 100 miles 200 miles 300 miles it's only when suddenly you you look at a map and you think oh my goodness I've cycled from Vancouver to San Francisco I mean (laughs) It, it was just this incredible visual achievement and cycling across the bridge. Like I just couldn't stop smiling. It, it was a huge, huge thing. And then, you know, even like reaching LA as well, you know, another big, big city. Um, do you know, I, I loved it. And I, what's interesting is I actually still, the bike that I used um, on my on my Pacific Coast Highway section of the journey is actually with a friend's parents who live 200 miles north of LA. So I've actually got a bike, which is perfect for bikepacking, um, you know, literally 200 miles north in LA. Yeah, over here so, in the States, ready to go. Over the, ready to go. And so I keep thinking, well, you know, I'd love to do, I'd love to cycle across the States. And then I don't know if you've heard about... Um, is it the green tunnel or the green way where you can cycle from Florida all the way up sort of like the East coast? There's like a green corridor. I don't think it's fully formed yet. It's not complete yet, but it's, um, it would be like an amazing cycle ride to cycle across. I'd love to go to like New Orleans, visit a few more state parks and then ride all the way up. So I love cycle touring. I think it's, it's a great way to travel. I love the lifestyle. I think it's a very, very addictive lifestyle. It's very, relaxed very chilled lifestyle I love the people that I met along the way I met some absolute characters I made some you know amazing friends um on the road I just 
yeah, I, I loved it. I think it's, it's a great way to travel. It is by far my favorite way to travel. And I'd have to say, I highly recommend you doing a, you know, a coast to coast or a north to south. Well, you did the north to south. You've already gone across America. But yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. The, green, the Greenway, which is 3,000 miles yeah. from Maine to Florida. Wow. That's, I've never that... even heard of that. I'm from Florida, so I, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It's, it's not finished yet, so there is still quite a bit of road riding, but you'll also be able to go on, on dedicated bike paths as well. And I saw that, and I think, oh, especially because I know I've got a bike in America, and then ending up in Maine. I do like Maine. You know, I could climb Mount Katahdin again. There you go. Um, yeah, it just this this these are how like my adventure ideas come together. Although it was <laughs> it was funny. I was chatting with uh, with a girl um, called Ellen who actually lent me her bike and where my other bike is um, in LA. And um, she came over to visit. And I was looking at a map and I was thinking, oh yeah, maybe I could leave like North LA. Is it like April May and then cycle across? And she was literally like, no 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 no. The weather is going to be insane. It's going to be cold and rainy and there'll still be snow in the mountains. And I was like. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> I need to do a bit more, a little bit more planning. It happens. Yeah, I've, I've definitely, you know, being being from the East Coast, I, I did. I just thought, being from Florida particularly, I just thought in May it's summer everywhere. But little did I know it could literally be the dead of winter if there's a storm in some of these mountains. And and I've definitely fell victim to that a few times, uh, being out in Colorado now, but so that's interesting. You know, a lot of, a lot of your trips are pulling you to the U S what, what is the reputation of the U S with like UK adventurers? Is it just a place that a lot of people want to go? Cause it seems to me that there's, you know, there's so much in Europe that you can do. What, what's the appeal? Um, I've always liked America. So I suppose it probably started when I was about 18 because I, I came over and worked at the American summer camps. So I did that for three years. So every summer I would spend it over in America. So I was up, you know, I spent time over in Michigan, California, Maine, working at, you know, children's summer camps. And I've always really liked it. Also, my second, my second largest, largest audience is over in America. So I have like a lot of, um, a lot of patrons, a lot of listeners, a lot of supporters over there. And plus, I got a 10 year visa. Like, <laughs> when I applied for my visa for the Appalachian right. Trail, they gave me like a you know, obviously that's um I can come in for six months at a time over a ten year um period. So I'm like, well that would be amazing. And then also in my head, I sort of think, well, I've walked the Appalachian Trail, I've cycled down the coast, I want to walk the Pacific Coast Highway and also Continental Trail Divide. So I do the Triple Crown. So if I've walked, you know, the three big trails in America, then I've cycled down from Vancouver down to San Diego, then I've cycled across and then up then the only thing I'd have to do would be to cycle from like, uh, like wash, um, Sunday, you know, just below Vancouver, that place. Uh, <laughs> Please check my geography. Yeah, Seattle. Yeah. Thank you. Seattle yeah, then works. all the way across to New York. And then suddenly I've done like, I've done the whole of around Australia, up and down Australia, Australia, America, sorry. And I just think that would be quite cool. It, it's, it sort of makes it, fits in my head it makes very logical sense and I just think you know over the next couple of years why not if I think longer term over the next seven years it could that could potentially happen oh that's exciting that's exciting so but but you know you you are still doing adventures all over the world and you know recently this year you did the Camino Portuguese and you know when I first saw that I was thinking the the Camino Santiago that that famed the way of St. James and um this is different than that you know what made you want to do something? I don't know. To me, it seems a little more unique than the the 
the El Camino that a lot of people think of. Yeah, just again, it was just sort of circumstances. I'd been the past previous couple of months, I'd been at home and uh, I'd been super organized with my podcast and I'd scheduled loads in and I was basically free from September and I didn't really have any plans. And a friend actually said that they were going to go and do it and they didn't end up doing it in the end. And I thought, oh, well, that would be, again, pretty amazing to go and to go and walk it. And what was interesting is um, there's a company called Cicerone. Um, who who has the guidebook and I'd been in contact with them uh, through quite a while and we were, and we were talking about doing you know doing like a sponsored uh, sponsored walk and so that sort of came out when I just sort of threw it out there and then they agreed to sponsor me and so it was suddenly you know when things starts coming together really quickly and with the with the caminos what's great is you can stay you don't need to take you're not camping that you don't need to carry food with you you're you're going to be walking and staying at like little guest houses or alberges or hostels along the way. Um, it's a it's a signposted route, so there's not really any navigation that you need to do. Perfect time of year to do it is September October. It's not as busy, but the weather's still really really nice, and it just basically came together really really well. And um, yeah, ended up flying over to Lisbon and and you know started walking. And thirty odd days later, ended up at ended up in Spain at um, at the big church, the cathedral uh, de Santiago. And it was it was just something really, really nice to do. And I think also the problem that I had in the back of my mind, so the previous six months, really, um, I've actually been doing a lot of physio. I've been working with like two physios, a personal trait. I mean, it's ridiculous trying to sort my like left knee out and my glutes out. And it this walk again it's not it's it wasn't it's not particularly mountainous it's not I didn't need to carry a particularly heavy backpack and so this was sort of the distance was you know 387 miles about 620 kilometers so it was a very manageable distance I wasn't I didn't have a time frame so I could do it very very relaxed so this was basically like a trial walk for me to get back into hiking to a to see how see how my body was going to cope was my leg going to cope was my glutes going to cope you know was it going to be manageable and so um that was very very important to me and equally uh, because I was conscious of, of my knee and my glutes and everything, being in Europe just makes life a lot easier. It also reduces the expenses down. You know, I, I am on a, a real budget and, you know, unfortunately the biggest cost of going to America is generally the flights. I got a super, you know, super cheap flight out to Lisbon. Things like health insurance are already covered. Um, and it was just sort of a lot less expensive. And um, so, so those were sort of the reasons behind it. Um, I, I, I would still love to do the other Camino that you talked about, um, that's definitely on my list of of things to do, but the the Portugal trip just seemed to have better weather. <laughs> that's that's definitely yeah. a factor when you're planning yeah. something. I definitely agree. It, it, and so coming from you know a through hiking background and the hiking and mountaineering, you know you did Kilimanjaro. How did the purpose and the in the feeling of adventure was it different at all, or was it was it a more I don't know spiritual or reflective um, experience versus something out in the woods because I know a lot of it's more developed there's a lot more places to stay like you said you only carried a day pack for a lot I watched your video about the gear list and it was very different than the video about a um the through hiking list you know so so how how did it differ for you internally like that 
I suppose I was, it was very much like a test hike because the other things that I'm, the other things that I'm trying to figure out as well is because I vlog my trips and I share them on YouTube and I, I'd love to do them more in real time, like to be, to literally, to be a daily vlogger, to upload daily. And I just, so I, I was actually walking with my laptop and I was filming and I was trying to release videos as I went because, you know, I'd love to do a longer hike like the Pacific Crest Trail. And it's just trying to figure out the logistics. I just I just can't really figure it out. And with this with this hike, um, I'm not particularly religious at all. I, I, was it spiritual? Not not particularly for me. No, like I didn't find it a massively spiritual experience. I found like the Appalachian Trail more spiritual. And I think what I mean by that is a lot of if you haven't done a hike before or a through hike before, I think when you first go out by yourself and you're hiking solo, you get this huge opportunity. You get thinking time, especially when you're away from friends and family and other people and peer pressure in society. And you can do a lot of reflection and deep thinking about who you are as a person, what you like, what you dislike, and you know, just think about your life so far and what's going on and, and process, have that time to actually really process what's been going on. So I done my that spiritual journey on the Appalachian Trail. I done like my my processing and like mentally I I am in such a great space now. So for me on the Camino, it was more, and I don't want to say the word holiday, but it was just this opportunity for me to be very relaxed, just to really enjoy the journey, not not rushing towards the destination, just wanting to take it every single day, just to meet people, explore new sites, see what Portugal was like, see what Spain was like. So it was a much, again, it's a much more gentle experience, which I'm starting to realize that I really do like and share I suppose the, the big challenge for me on this one was more the logistics of trying to vlog the challenge and share the challenge and also you know working with a sponsor this time and you know producing content and sharing on Instagram stories and you know keeping everybody updated and, and that's that's a different dynamic again which you people don't necessarily understand how much work it takes when you're you are, share, you are sharing your journey for other people and you have people following you um and it's something that I'm I'm con- conscious of, and I want to keep people, you know, aware that it's not just oh, you just take a pretty photo and write a few words. You know, when you've had a really exhausting day and you come back and you've got to write, uh, you know, write up your day to share it on Facebook and go through all your photos and make sure you a you're taking photos and are they good quality and do they need any editing? Do they need to add some filters? And what do you want to reflect on during the day? Like all of these things do actually take a huge amount of time, especially when you're when you're doing that and filming. And by the way, again, not me complaining. I love doing what I'm doing. It's just it takes a huge amount of extra effort to do that and so again this is part of my trying to figure this all out because I'd love to do a longer through hike and get that through hike sponsored but if you're going away for six months then what are the implications on on the hike itself and on my time and you know my mind will I still enjoy it do I enjoy sharing um that much stuff so um yeah there was a lot of things like that that I was trying to work out but the internal work I'd already I'd done that already on the Appalachian Trail. I was in such a, I still am in such a good place about my life, the choices that I've made to get me to this point. Um, so yeah, sorry, I can end up waffling. I apologize. <laughs> no worries. Hey, this is a podcast. You know, we we talk 
And you know, it's 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 so much better to have a guest. I'm sure you can relate that that is uh, over not you're not oversharing, but I'd <laughs> rather have a guest that overshares than under. You know, some people what they have on paper, it's an amazing story, but they don't tell it, and it's one of the most frustrating things as an interviewer. You know, absolutely. With your knee not you know being where you want it to be yet, how how tough is it for you to? hear all these stories and want to do all these things, but not have a body that's 100% cooperating with what you want to do? Yeah, great, great question. I think for me, I was actually really pleasantly surprised, like, because my my knee had been like blowing up, like, like it was, it's been swollen for like three or four months. So I, I was really expecting to have a lot of problems. And that's why I had my walking poles and knee support and everything. And I think the great thing was that it was fine. I literally didn't have any problems, didn't have any issues. Like the bigger issues was being bitten by mosquitoes and having <laughs> them, you know, having like an allergic reaction to them and having to get antihistamines. So I think that, so my knee actually passed the test really well, but it, it still has highlighted, you know, I still do really have weak glutes. And a lot of the time I'd be walking along, you know, and you're walking and you, you, you well, my glute doesn't squeeze at the end of the step. And so I'm like mentally, I'm like, squeeze, squeeze, squeeze as I'm walking to try, you know, get it activated. And um, but it, it it has it shown me that, look, I need to do a lot more work really focusing on it's, uh, it's unfortunate. It's doing like micro exercises. It's doing really, really small exercises. Whereas when I go to the gym, I just want to go to the gym and lift heavy weights and just, you know, do big lifts. That's what I want to do. And instead, I'm, I'm going to the gym and like, I've got my elastic band around my foot and I'm turning my foot 20 degrees and then straightening my foot. And then <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels just, like nothing. <laughs> it feels like nothing. And it's very, it is frustrating. But I think one of the great things that I have learned over the past couple of years is, is patience and also realizing, look, you've got to put the work in if you want to achieve anything. It's about, you know, do, doing the daily efforts and it will add up over time. And I had actually spent, you know, I had been spent the previous few months working with a personal trainer, working with these two physios, figuring this stuff out and getting regular massages as well to like help the muscles and everything. So um, I was actually really pleased with how my body did cope. And I think there's also the other thing I think to take into consideration is, is the mind as well, because when you are, when you've been injured for a while or when you're going through that recovery process, mentally, I was very like conscientious of like, Oh, can I, how am I walking down steps or going downhill and, and where, you know, my foot placement and you start doubting that you can do things, even though previously you've done, you know, jumping on boxes, for example, you can do. Um, whereas now that's something that I can't do at the moment, but maybe I can if I gave it a go, but I'm almost scared of giving it a go in case I can't do it. And so those were some of the mental games that I was, um, that I was having to play, but actually it, it, it turned out really well. And also because it, it wasn't an extreme hike. It was a very manageable hike and that I could, you know, if I needed to only walk 15K, that's what I would do. Um, and I was very flexible on my time frame and where I stayed and everything else like that. So, um, yeah, it, it, it worked out well. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and you know, this doesn't have to be on record, but what, what, what exactly wrong is wrong with your knees? So, after uh so it's basically so uh, i had a it's interesting uh, so okay hold on <laughs> there's actually there's a video on instagram because i had to get my physio to explain what happened so on my left knee there is a vein or an artery which runs down the right hand side and he, how he explained it is he sees this very in a lot of people after they've had like knee surgery um the artery will sort of like slam 
uh, will shrink a little bit. And so I couldn't actually straighten my left leg because this vein or artery had shrunken. And so therefore I was constantly having my knee bent even when I walked. And even when I was say resting in my bed, I would have pillows under my left knee to elevate my leg because I thought that was the right thing to do. But that meant that my leg was always bent. So when he was releasing this this vein or this artery out which runs down the side once it released I could then actually straighten my leg again so what that ended up doing was that ended up putting more pressure on other alternate muscles so for example like my hip flexors which are a lot tighter and also a lot stronger so when I walk it's almost like my hip flexors are throwing my leg out the other thing he said as well is um, your foot will make all these micro adjustments when you're walking to give you stability. My left foot basically wasn't doing that. So what took, what takes over if your if your foot isn't doing it was my knee. So my knee had taken over doing these like micro adjustments when I'm walking or running or you know using using it all the time and that ended up putting more impact on the, on the knee and the surrounding area. And then when you've got weak glutes, which actually a lot of people do, and they're not firing, that you then find that you're not using like your your glutes, which are obviously very very strong muscles, and, and your um and uh and the back of your leg muscles. So I was actually using my not my quads. What's my front? What's the muscle on the front of the thigh called? The yeah, that, that's your quads, I believe. Yeah, quads. Quads, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry, hamstrings at the back. So I wasn't really using my glute and the hamstrings on the back of my legs, but I was using my hip flexors and my quads to do what they were doing the majority of the work. And I also wasn't using my calf muscles. So it's basically trying to retrain, um, re- get the muscles switched on and firing because they, they've just gone and like that the hip flexors and my quads have taken over. So it's getting them retrained, get, you know, getting the legs straightened out was like a big win um you know that really really massively helped and then also figuring out my foot so he like cracked something in my foot to release something which also helped with my foot uh, mobility so the interesting thing is it's when it's your knee it's never really your knee it's like it's, it's all the other <laughs> stuff right it's all the other stuff around it's either your ankle your foot your glutes your hip flexors your hips etc um so yeah so there was a lot of work on that and if people follow my instagram stories they're probably sick and tired of me talking about my like my knee issues but i ended up you know i went to see a you know went to see a doctor i was had x-rays done i was trying to get um in for like an mri scan or you know all these things trying to figure it out because i knew something was wrong um i think i'd just been a bit stubborn because i should have i should have gone see a physio right after my appellation no i did go see a physio actually but they focused more on my right knee which was turning in so I spent more time figuring, like straightening out my right knee and working on my right knee and not realizing that my left was actually the one which was more injured. So sorry, that's very uninteresting. <laughs> Any adventure is eventually, not anyone, but, you know, we talk to some people that just seem to, you know, they'd never have health issues. But so many of us, when we pursue these adventures, something is going to pop up that that feels like it can prevent us from doing it um, health wise, you know, like, oh, man, my ankles are really weak or, uh, you know, one, you know, we've talked to plenty of through hikers that obviously have lots of knee problems or hip problems or, um, you know, we talked to paddlers that have elbow problems and shoulder problems. So something's going to pop up. And it's just interesting to hear, like, how to each how does each person deal with these issues as they come up to continue doing what they love to do? Or to how, how do they adapt from doing this to something yeah. else they, they now love to do? So, you know, we, we've, we've had a lot of people that, 
you know, went from running to kayaking or from kayaking to biking or whatever, and trying to not let that part of their life go. Um, but not, not let it crush them at the same time, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, one of the reasons, so early on this year, I went to India to do a yoga teacher training course. And part of that for me was in my head, this was before I'd been to see physios and stuff. I was thinking doing, it's just, I need to stretch out my hip flexors more. And that will sort of, once I release that pressure and obviously doing, you know, doing a month of yoga in India in 30 degree heat, that's going to massively help. And so it is a case of, of adapting, but I ended up doing you know, 30 days of yoga. It was much more brutal than I thought it was going to be. It wasn't as relaxing. So I actually, when I got back <laughs> to the UK and in April, I was like, Oh God, I need, a, you know, I need a holiday to actually recover from this. But I think it's, it's trying different things. You know, I'm very, very open to, is it is it massage? Is it you know seeing the doctor? Is it you know physio? You know what do what is it that I need to be doing? And then just you know doing it, just getting it done. Well, that's that's awesome that you 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 approach it with such a, a ferocity of like I'm got, I've got to do this because I want to do this adventure. Uh, and speaking of that, you know, congratulations on the Camino going well. You know, does this give you some confidence for the future? Is it has it churned some ideas? And do you have anything planned specifically uh, moving oh. forward? Oh, I do. It's very exciting and I can't wait to share. <laughs> awesome. So, so um, the, the guidebook that I used, the Camino Portuguese guidebook written by um, Cicerone, was written by a girl called um, Kat Davis, who's got an amazing blog called Following Following the Arrows. And she's walked, you know, she's walked the Camino Portuguese five times and she's done a huge amount of walks throughout uh, Europe. She's recently cycled Japan and she's walked the Pacific Crest Trail. And um, I'd been in contact, or Kat, me and Kat had both been in contact with each other while I was on the Camino Portuguese because I was sort of connected through Cicerone. And um, we were just sort of, you know, messaging. And I got, I when I got to Camino de Santiago in Spain, I, you know, I didn't, I don't, I didn't have any commitments. I had one commitment in November, so I had all this time, and I had all these ideas about what I was going to do. Was I going to walk on to Finisterre or Muxia? Was I going to do a, like a short Camino, like the English Camino? Um, was I going to get the ferry back? Would I take the coach home? And she ended up sending me a text message saying, "Hey, Sarah." would you be interested in walking like the Lycian Way um, in November? So obviously my first thought was, what's the Lycian Way? I've never heard of it. I don't even know if I'm right. So obviously did a quick Google and found out that it's this incredible, it's, it's the Telegraph um, in the UK named it as 10 of the most beautiful, uh, one of the most beautiful hikes you can do in the world. It's about 500 kilometers. It's a coastal hike um, sort of on the Mediterranean in Turkey. And I saw it and I just thought, you know, I've got, I'm free in November and December. I'm organized and my podcast is scheduled. And I was thinking, hell yeah, let's go and do it. So I texted her back, you know, pretty much after I Googled it straight away saying, yes, super keen, you know, let me know what you're thinking. When's the deadline? When do you want to go? And, um, we, I got back to, to London and we ended up having this phone call conversation. And when we were on the phone, she's like, should we just look at flights? Cause I told, you know, I'm, I was giving a talk on the 7th, I'm giving a talk on the 7th of November in Devon. So I can then come back to London. So I'd be free from you know, the 9th onwards. And we were just looking at flights and found a really cheap flight to get to Turkey. And then suddenly we, we were on the phone and we both just booked our flights with points. So it only cost, you know, like 50 P and then that's it. It was like, boom, we're going to be heading off to to walk the Lycian Way, a long distance footpath in Turkey around um, around the Mediterranean. So um, yeah, super excited. So that's the next challenge. That's the next adventure. It's going to be again. This is going to be um, 
a different challenge again because this is going to be much more physical than a Camino. There's going to be wild camping, so you, you need to think gear wise. You need to think more about like like Appalachian Trail weight. I won't be taking my laptop with me, for instance. So um, I will be vlogging it and recording it. But that's going to be the next challenge, and I'm just really excited. We're going to be averaging maybe about 25, 30 kilometers every day. Plan to do it in between 25 and 30 days. It is. It has been way marked. But there's only one guidebook, which I believe that was last updated in, I want to say, like 2014, maybe. So um, it's meant to be incredibly beautiful. And uh, yeah, that's that's the next plan. Head off on November 9th, take about 30 days. I've only got a one way flight out to Turkey and we'll figure out the rest when we're over there. Hey, that sounds awesome. That sounds like you're in a good place. Uh mentally physically you ready to do this i'm 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 excited for you yeah me too <laughs> isn't it great when you like look at it and like oh my gosh i can make this happen and then you pull the trigger and it's like we're doing this this is oh this is fantastic that's so good to hear so i i can imagine you know i totally get talking to all these exciting people all the time it's like i don't know did you want to do something yourself every so often, you know what I mean? And so it, it, when you finally get to, it feels like, yeah, I'm living it. I'm not just always talking about it. I'm living it as well. I'm an example for other people. And uh, it's just, there's nothing like going on an adventure, nothing like it. Absolutely agree. I think the interesting challenge is going to be, so I've never actually met Kat before. So, you know, <laughs> I've, in, I, I've interviewed her on Skype and we've, we've, you know, on Instagram, you know, we're messaging and we've got WhatsApp and we've messaged and we've spoken on the phone and stuff, but we've never actually met face to face. So it's going to be really, and we're both used to walking solo um, and doing, you know, challenges sort of solo, but also, you know, meeting other people along the way. And so I think for both of us, that's going to be, that's going to be a really interesting part of the challenge. Also a really interesting part for me as well, just to be like, like how is it to suddenly be spending 25, 30 days or something? Like, what if we don't get on or, oh my God. So, um, but I'm sure it's all going to be absolutely fine. But I think the weird thing is like, I think for the power of social media, you can feel as though, you know, people already just through following them and reading their blogs and absolutely you know, videos and you sort of know and you know on the, on the phone call we both sort of discussed this and said you know obviously communication is going to be really really key and you know if we're annoying each other we've got to say it and if we're not or if you know you're going to go off and walk by us by ourselves that's totally cool so um yeah it's it's going to be a different experience um you know looking forward to it so can't wait that is interesting. You, you you do get to know people, and it's so cool that you get to kind of use this tough girl uh, community to go on a trip with someone from that community. Uh, you ever get people that say, "Oh my gosh, it's so weird to hear your voice like in real life." <laughs> oh, I do, I do. If I well, interact with it rather than just listening to it. <laughs> well, the the funny thing was, I was I went on uh, I went to a festival with with a really good well a, a listener of mine originally a girl <laughs> called Alan who's now um, she's become a really really good friend of mine. And it's so funny because we she she we were going to this festival together and she lives very close to me, so she was gonna drive down. We drove down together and we'd be driving along and she'd be like looking over to me and she'd just be like, It's so weird talking to you because normally you're the voice of my you know, from the coming from the car system <laughs> yeah. through, through the radio and like and now you're like now you're sat on the chair next to me and when I and when I'm I respond and you respond. It's like it was just very it was a very weird situation. But like, you know, amazing. And I think you know, I love that. Like, I love getting to meet people um, who listen to the Subgirl podcast. And it happened to me actually in um, when I was in Santiago in front of the cathedral. I was wearing my pink tough girl hoodie, and suddenly someone was like, "Sarah, 
And I was like looking around thinking, well, they can't be talking about me. No, no one I know is here. And then they were like staring right at me and saying, Sarah. And they were like, yes, you, you, Sarah. And I was like, oh my God. And it was one of my listeners and she had you know, the tough girl buff because I had this merchandise and she just walked um, the final hundred kilometers with her dad, who was like 81 years old. And it was just fabulous to, to meet because, you know, I'd, I'd followed her journey on, on Instagram and seen her Instagram stories. And so it's it's always lovely to to connect with people or when people reach out and tell you, look, I listened to this story, I listened to that episode and this is how it's changed my life. And this is the adventure that I decided to go on. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's fabulous. And my, my community is, um, is so supportive and so encouraging because I think a lot of women or you, you, you've probably found it as well, but when you mention, oh, I want to go and do X, Y, and Z and everyone's like, are you crazy? That's ridiculous. That's insane. And if you're isolated and don't necessarily have friends and family around you, they obviously love you, but they just don't get it. Then actually having this online community, this online support function can be incredibly powerful because sometimes all you need is someone to say, oh my God, you can totally do that. And actually I know the perfect person you can speak to and da 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 and then you know, getting that encouragement and support is so, so powerful and it can help and encourage you to actually go off and think, right, let's not think of every reason why I can't do this challenge. Let's think of every reason why I can do this challenge. And then you go and do it. And um, yeah, and I, and I love seeing that happen. And then for me, it's all about that positive ripple effect. So you have one woman who, who does a challenge or an adventure and then her friends and family see and that encourages them to do something and then they do something that their friends and family see and then they do something and it just spreads. And so I, I love the idea of that. It, it is. I mean, there's. I don't think there's anything more rewarding than, than hearing back that the work you're doing is affecting people, real people's lives. And uh, that is... I mean, you after I hear something like that or a review or something, I'm like, I could die right now and I'd be just happy. <laughs> like, I just, it is working. Like, it's working. And, Absolutely. you know, you're, you're just 100% correct on that. It gets me so excited to, to hear from somebody who is making a difference in helping people have adventure because I, I have to, every single person on this planet needs to experience an adventure a journey of some sort that challenges them, that they're afraid at moments, that they're, they feel so accomplished, something either solo or, or with a group or both. And, you know, when you are making that so doable for such a large amount of people, um, I just commend you. Thank you for all that you do and being so passionate about it. It definitely comes across as extremely authentic and extremely, uh, inspiring. So, um, I'm excited that you get to do all these adventures and continue encouraging encouraging folks. I, it, it's awesome. Oh, thank you. I'm blushing. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that's why we have podcast. That's why it's you know no video. <laughs> I, 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 you know. Sarah, thank you so much. Uh, you know, we, I I would love for you to share. You know how people can follow you. Obviously, everything's going to be plugged in the show notes as well. But you know, you can give it a shout out, and I'll also give it a, a plug in the intro of the show as well. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love, everyone, please go visit toughgirlchallenges.com. That is the central hub. That's where it all happens. There's links to uh, the Tough Girl podcast, the Tough Girl blog. There's links to the books that I've written or been involved in. There's also links to all of the different adventures from the Pacific Coast Highway, the Appalachian Trail, uh, the Camino Portuguese, and other small random challenges, you know, like going swimming in Loch Ness, for example. So please <laughs> do go check out toughgirlchallenges.com. Awesome. And uh, yeah, thank you for doing this. I, I, I appreciate uh, you coming on again on our show. And 
um, yeah, continue all the work you do. And we'll be absolutely pushing people your way to say, follow her. What she's doing is awesome. She, she walks the walk. She talks the talk and walks the walk. So Sarah, can, oh. have, have a great time next month. Thank you so much. Can I just quickly tell you one thing, though? Oh, yeah, sure. So what was amazing is uh, one of your listeners, a girl called Becca, who listened to the Adventure Sports podcast, she listened to to my episode. This must have been my first episode, maybe, when I was talking about doing the Appalachian Trail. And then she found out about the Tough Girl podcast and started listening to the Tough Girl podcast. And then she came out and met me on the Appalachian Trail. And, and she's become, like, a friend now. And that's all happened because she listened to the Adventure Sports podcast. So I, I thought that was, like, a really nice little... You know, how amazing is that? Like one of your listeners then became one of my <laughs> listeners and she ended up meeting me on the Appalachian Trail. Um, yeah, super lovely. That is awesome. I, I, I mean, and I love this world of podcasts. I love this, the community, the the activity that you can do while you listen. Like it's just so encouraging to people. I have totally transitioned from, you know, videos and, and t- television to podcasts because I can remain active, you know, and uh, that's, that is wonderful to hear. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate yeah. it. You asked some awesome questions. Oh, thank you. You're an awesome storyteller. So it wasn't very hard to, to listen and to, <laughs> to, to think of something to ask. But ha- have a great rest of the day, and I'll be following you. Cool. Thank you. All right. Bye. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventure sports podcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>